Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we look to the advent of our Lord Jesus this week, we examine the treasure of the Messiah as seen through the eyes of those who were waiting and watching. In a world where we're so easily drawn away to lesser earthly treasures, we need the reminder of those who marveled at and treasured the newborn Messiah. Thanks for joining us as we celebrate Simply Jesus this Christmas. What was the f- favorite thing you ever got for Christmas? Well, what was that, that present that you looked forward to and waited? Do you remember being a kid and just that anticipation felt like Christmas was 10 years away? You, you just would never make it to Christmas morning. I remember uh, being young and there was a commercial on TV for a, a bit of a nerd, but a rock polisher. I was one of those kids that collected rocks. I loved rocks. And it was amazing in this commercial because you could put the rocks in this little red drum and it would spin and then you would open it and they would come out and they sparkled. They just were amazingly shiny and polished like gems. And it was like a treasure because you never knew what the polished rock would look like until you put it in the tumbler. So that's what I asked Santa for. That's what I wanted for Christmas. And do you know what I got Christmas morning? <laughs> I got the rock polisher. I, I, I got it and I, I couldn't wait to set it up. Made a bit, a bit of a mess setting it up. I remember that. Um, and then uh, I did not realize how much noise it made. Um, I found out very quickly in my anticipation for this uh, that it also took a long time to polish the rock. So I would check on them. After an hour, nothing, nothing. They looked like the same rocks. Put it back in, a couple more hours, still nothing. Uh, then my dad told me I had to take it out and put it in the garage because it was making too much noise. So I remember letting it run for what felt like days. I'm pretty sure it was days. And then I thought, surely they're going to be polished by now. And I went out and checked it, and you know what? They still look like rocks. <laughs> That, that darn rock polisher that I was so excited about, that for me was the greatest treasure that I looked forward to and I waited for, and then I marveled over and was just enamored with, it, it didn't deliver. And, I, and honestly, I never polished a single rock in that dang rock polisher. It, it went into storage, and I bet to this day we can find it in a box in the attic somewhere, and I can still hear it, that sound forever, You know how easy it is for you and I to think of that treasure on earth that just captures our heart or our attention? Do you know how easy it is for marketing agencies and commercialism to make things of this earth look so enticing that we would get our hopes up and that we would put all our eggs in the basket for satisfaction and fulfillment for something that ultimately won't deliver? My my great hope for us is that we just take take a... beat and take a step back and we remember Christmas is all about Jesus. And if you pursue Jesus, not not career, not promotion, not houses and cars and businesses, if you pursue Jesus, then you will find when it's all said and done, when the end of your days arrives, you will have that treasure that you have been waiting for. But if your heart is drawn to anything else, you'll be disappointed. You will lose out. You will, in fact, 
have nothing. Because everything that's offered to us on this side of eternity is ultimately going to rust or be stolen or it's going to burn up or get eaten by bugs or get put up in a box in the attic. And so what we need to do is we need to take a look at the message and the story of Jesus and have our hearts reminded that it's just simply Jesus. That's all that I want. That's all I desire. That's all I pursue. And I hope collectively as we gather, we get to do that here so that we're not so easily confused and distracted by the the things that glitter on this side of eternity. For our study this morning, it's going to be very brief. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read the story of a couple of characters as Jesus is presented in the temple. So Mary and Joseph, we're going to look at. And Simeon, who acts as a, as a, as a priest in this role, even though he's not a priest. Um, and then we're going to look at Anna, uh, a widow who is worshiping and uh, serving God for her whole life. We're going to look at these three sets of characters. And from them, we're going we're to find a couple of observations to which I hope to offer us two main conclusions for us to let God speak to our hearts this morning. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start together here in verse 21. Luke records, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Um, By the way, I think that's where the two turtle doves comes from in the song. I can't prove that, but I think that's where it comes from. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the rising or the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God 
and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, here's our story for today. Uh, the, the first set of characters I'd like us to focus on are Mary and Joseph. I have some blanks for you in your sermon notes to fill in, and I, I'd like to just go through them quickly. Mary and Joseph find themselves in Jerusalem. One of the first things that I want you to know is that the timeline of this is actually happening before last Sunday's message. Last Sunday, we heard about the Magi, and we were contrasting them, right? The kings who came to worship with the king of Herod, who was threatened by Jesus. That actually occurs after this story. So Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, um, they make uh, the trip to Jerusalem uh, that we just read. And then after this, they go back to Bethlehem. And as we correspond with Matthew's gospel, we find that they're actually now living not in stables. They're, they're living in a house. They're now staying in a house. And it's a matter of time after this 40, 40 days plus one for uh, Mary's purification that somewhere between there and somewhere between two years old is when the Magi show up. And after this, Joseph is warned in a vision. They go to Jerusalem. After that, they return back, but they're, they're told they don't want to stay in Judea. And so they go back home to Nazareth. So the timeline here is, isn't all given to us in one single gospel. It's when you unite Matthew and Luke's gospel together, you see the full scope of things. What I want you to know is that uh, this is happening right after the birth. In fact, eight days old. What do you do for a little Hebrew boy when he's eight days old? You take him to the priests to circumcise him. This is done as a sign that this child given to these parents is one who now is going to be given access to the covenant of God. God's promise with Abraham given through the sign of circumcision is that righteousness is going to come from God by faith, by simply believing. And circumcision was the sign for that. So Jesus now comes to get circumcised. He's also in Jerusalem to officially record his name as Yeshua. Uh, we have, I, I didn't just sneeze, <laughs> that's a Hebrew name, Yeshua, which in English gets translated as Joshua. So that's what the, the name uh, in English sounds like. But it means uh, Yahweh, Yash, Yasha in Hebrew. So Yahweh, the covenant-keeping name of God, Yasha, Hebrew for saves. So God saves is Jesus' name. That's what Joshua means. Um, it, gets, it gets a little bit morphed into, um, through Greek uh, pronunciation, into Jesus. That's where we get the name Jesus from. But if you lived back then, you would have called Jesus Joshua. Um, but we've inherited it as Jesus because we, we've, got, we've got it through Greek. Um, his name, given by the angel, means God saves. And here in Jerusalem, uh, it's now officially recorded. Um, it's not that children weren't named by their parents before they were eight days old. It's that it became official at their circumcision. So uh, from day one, they knew actually before uh, the child was conceived, they were going to call him Jesus um, because of what the angel said. But here it's recorded. Number three, they present Jesus to God as their firstborn. And you see here in verse 23, that's exactly what the law said. And we can go back and read the story of in the Exodus, how it was the firstborn who were to be given over to God. And so Mary and Joseph, wanting to obey God, bring Jesus. And then lastly, 
It's because of the law for purification. I had to look this one up. If you have your Bibles, I just invite you real quick, hold your spot in Luke, but turn back to the book of Leviticus. It's going to be the third book in your Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 12. Because I want to point out to you a couple of things that we will notice that help us to understand the timing and the nature of Mary and Joseph's obedience. Leviticus chapter 12. If you look with me, starting in verse 6 of Leviticus chapter 12, it says, When the days of her purification for a son or a daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb. Did Mary and Joseph bring a lamb? They did not. Let's keep reading. For a burnt offering and a young pigeon and a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. That's from the birth of the child. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons. First thing I wanted you to see here is that this helps us with the timeline because we know they had gold. Mary and Joseph had gold. Who'd they get the gold from? Do you remember? It was, it was from the Magi, but they didn't have it at this point. So we know that the Magi came after the story that we're reading right now. Otherwise, they would have come to offer not two turtle doves, but a lamb. Uh, Look with me again in verse 8. If she can't afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Um, The two offerings here, if you study in the Old Testament, the burnt offering is one that's to never be extinguished. It's in representation for who God is. And one of the doves is for the burnt offering. But the second is as a sin offering. Now, Mary didn't sin by having Jesus. There's nothing that she did inherently that would deserve God's judgment over her. And yet she knows she is a sinner. And God made a way to atone for that. I want us to just pause on that for a moment because as we look at the story of bringing Jesus to the temple, one of the things that I think we miss is the heart of Mary and Joseph. To know that they want to obey God with their whole lives. They want to obey God in every way. Even in the ways that will recognize I have sin in my life. I have sin that needs to be atoned for. And so literally carrying the, the, ch- the child who is God, who will be the atonement for the sins of the world, they still follow the law of Moses to make atonement for their sins. So the burnt offering and the sin offering are represented here as, and you can turn back now to Luke, we see that they bring a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Moving on here to Simeon, uh, four points I'd like you to see starting in verse 25 for his story. First of all, Simeon is waiting. He's waiting. Kind of like I was waiting for what I was looking forward to, except Simeon and I were looking forward to two very different things. In your Bible, it will say that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Um, that, that doesn't mean uh, he's waiting for something necessarily for Israel. It's an idiom. It's, it's a way of saying he's waiting for the Messiah. That's who he's waiting for. The Greek word that's used here for consolation is parakletos, 
Or paraclete, maybe you've heard that used before to refer to someone else. Not Jesus, but does anyone know? The Holy Spirit. It, it's the word that means one who comes alongside as, a, as an advocate, as a helper, as a counselor. Simeon was waiting for Jesus, the Messiah, who is the advocate for Israel. And not just for Israel, but all those who have faith like Abraham. Secondly, Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit. Did you see this? The Holy Spirit told him, you're not going to die until the Messiah is shown to you. And then as he's there worshiping, he's even led by the Spirit to go to Mary and Joseph. And that's when he sees the child. That's when the light bulb goes on. And almost a literal light bulb in our third observation, because Simeon then declares Jesus a light revelation to the Gentiles. Look with me in the passage here in verse 31. He says, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's scandalous to the Gentiles. You would think, especially a Jewish person at the temple, they're not interested in those crummy Gentiles. And yet that's exactly the prophetic word that comes from Simeon, recognizing the Messiah, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. A light. The other day, um, I was in bed. Emily was looking for something, I think, in her purse or on the nightstand, and she turned the light on. Come, come, turn the light. That ever happened to anybody else? Anyone else have your spouse turn the light on in the middle of the night? Um, was she glad the light was on? Yes or no? Yeah. Was I glad the light was on? No. Yeah. It's interesting when it comes to light. You only have one of two responses. You're, you're either glad to see the light or you resist the light and don't want to be around it at all. I was talking to a friend yesterday who was telling a story of sharing the gospel in a uh, shop in town. And never, first time ever sharing the good news of the gospel and with a little bit of nerves, the message, Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the, from the grave. And there was one person there who's really interested in, in listening and hearing more but then there was those uh, peanut gallery people who were kind of, you know, you know the kind I'm talking about. They're just kind of listening in. I heard you're talking about God. Well, here's what I think. And uh, he said that there were those who were opposed to the message. Isn't that interesting? If you share the truth about Jesus, you only have one of two responses. Either you're drawn to the light and you're thankful for the light. Or you don't want to see it at all and you resist the light. Either way, this is the declaration that comes from Simeon. Jesus is going to be a revelation to the Gentiles, a light for them. Lastly, we see Simeon treasuring Jesus. He speaks to Mary as well. Um, we're going to look at that in a moment. Let's talk, let's talk about Anna very quickly. Anna was somebody who was devoted to the Lord. Uh, she got married at a young age, as Jewish women do. Seven years later, her husband died. And she never remarried. Instead, she pledged herself to God and the text says lived at the temple, fasting and praying. I mean, th this lady, she just all she wanted to do was devote her heart and her life to God. Uh, it's interesting because you'll see that the characteristic of a person like that has a unique response to the message of Jesus. Because Simeon, you remember him, he has the child and here he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming the message of Jesus as the Messiah. And who overhears it? Who sees the light? But the 84-year-old widow Anna. And she's drawn over 
When she hears the message of Jesus, she responds to it. And the text tells us as well that she gives thanks and then she becomes a missionary, spreading the good news about Jesus everywhere she goes. She also declares him as the redemption of Jerusalem to all those who are willing to listen. And lastly, we see as well that Anna treasures Jesus. Three stories, three sets of individuals all have a similar response to teach us something this morning. The first thing I want you to know is that, number one, the truth of Jesus, when you hear the truth of Jesus, it will reveal the thoughts of your heart. For Simeon, he longed to see Jesus. And so when he did, you saw the thoughts of his heart. Anna was devoted to God. She longed to see Jesus. And when she did, you see the thoughts of her heart. I want you to see this actually what the text says. If you look with me in verse 34, it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Every time I've read this, I've always kind of got stuck on that last line. Poor Mary, right? Anybody with me there? A sword will pierce your own soul too. We know what that's referring to, right? This is referring to the crucifixion. Simeon sees that there is an atoning sacrifice that's going to be required here to which Mary will suffer uniquely as the mother of Jesus. But every time I focus on that, I skip over the line that came right before it, which says he will be a sign that will be spoken against and that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Do you know that's what light does? That's what light does. It scares away the darkness. It shows whatever was hidden now to be revealed. And I think of my friend as he was sharing the gospel that, yeah, the truth about Jesus, it'll show that you're either interested and drawn towards the light or you're not. You know, Jesus today is not incredibly popular. Well, not the Jesus of the Bible. There are many churches and denominations today that want to reframe Jesus according to our own political sensibilities, our own values within our culture, thinking that we've progressed so far that we know better than God in regards to all kinds of matters. And so when you present the truth of Jesus, the thoughts of many hearts are revealed. I wonder what your heart would be revealed as. I wonder what mine would be revealed as. Last conclusion that we can see from this is that if you are looking for this Jesus, the good news is you'll be led to find Jesus. Anna and Simeon were looking. They were waiting. They were hoping. And because they were looking for Jesus, God led them to Jesus. Directly in the text, we can see that. So this is something not simply to be true for Simeon and Anna's day. I submit to you, this is true today. Maybe in your life, you know that there was a time where you just didn't like the light. It was a little too bright, shining a little too much heat on the sin in my life. And so I'd rather than allow it to expose that which needs atonement and redemption. I'd rather you just turned off the light. Except God kept knocking. Except the spirit kept working. And there came for you a time in your life that you said, you know what? I need to find Jesus. 
and God led you to Jesus. Now, hopefully that's true for you. The, the great hope and promise is that that's true for those who don't yet know him. So keep praying and keep waiting. Keep seeking and watching. As we see these being the key characteristics to take away from this passage, I, I want to submit to you one application for you during our Christmas season. The great joy that you will have at the end of it all is that if you long for Jesus, you will have Jesus. So take time. This is Christmas week. This week, this is it. Take time to marvel about Jesus. That's the word, by the way, that's used here in verse 33. Did you see it? The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. The the Greek word here for marvel means to be astonished by. It means to be in wonderment. It means to be amazed. When I was young, I was amazed by those shiny little rocks. I mean, they glittered in the sunlight. They, they caught my attention. I marveled at them. And I couldn't get a single one of them <laughs> to shine the way they did in the commercials. I have no idea where they are today. You and I, all of us, have areas in our life that we can return and reclaim to Jesus to focus and marvel on him. That's my hope and encouragement to you for this week. And then every day afterwards, take time to marvel about Jesus and the thoughts of your heart will be revealed. If you want Jesus, you'll be led to Jesus. Let's pray.